Welcome back to Banter, Strength, and Drinking Gourds, How American Culture Came to Be, the podcast of the Frontier Culture Museum of Virginia. This month, for Women's History Month, we're going to be doing four short episodes, one every Saturday, with each one detailing the life of a different woman in different periods, different locations around the world, walking through their daily life, some of which you may find recognizable, some of which may seem very strange. But in all cases, these are women living their daily lives and going about their daily tasks, similarly to the way we live our lives today. This week, we're starting with Sally telling the story of Cecilia, a 17th century yeoman farmer's wife from England. I, Cecilia, arise when the sun begins to barely peek over the horizon. I awaken my female servants, Margaret called Meg and Catherine called Carrie. I remind Carrie to dump out the chamber pot since she is the youngest servant. Rank hath its privileges. Then I rouse my daughters, Mary and Anne. We dress quickly, lacing our stays over our linen shifts, then tying a sensible number of workday petticoats about our waist with an apron on top. Then we slip on socks and shoes. Lastly, we coil our hair in a tidy manner and put on a white cap or coif. This helps our hair stay cleaner longer and assures our hair stays out of the food. We then rub sleep from our eyes, splash water on our faces, taking just a moment to towel off. After eating a hasty breakfast of bread and cheese, we walk purposefully to the cattle shed to commence milking our red cows. I watch Meg patiently and calmly get a cow to the stanchion to begin milking. I hear the familiar squirt, squirt of the milk hitting the inside of the pail. I can see Meg has the milking down and she is passing on the fire points to carry so that one day she too will be a proficient dairymaid. Both Mary and Anne are quite adept at milking, knowing the importance of gently squeezing and talking sweetly to the cow. I have shared Gervase Markham's words of advice from the English housewife with them. The worst point of housewifery is to leave a cow half milked. Therefore, we have happy cows and plenty of milk to make cheese and butter. My husband, Edward, who is undoubtedly rising by now, laughs at me being so overly concerned about the milking, checking on the servants and all. He definitely trusts me to manage the house well. I want to have a good reputation in Hartleberry with my cheese. I return now to the house to find Edward indeed awake, and he has our sons, Joseph and Robert, up as well. While they are grooming themselves, I carefully remove the ashes, stoke the fire, quickly adding heat to the hall. Before Edward, who is a respectable yeoman farmer, owning a considerable amount of land, begins his day, he sits down in the great chair, thinking of himself as king of his castle. Sitting up to the trestle table, he consumes ale, bread, and cheese. Our sons soon join him. They want to break the fast and have a good start for the busy day ahead. Edward is going to have both sons and our male servant, Thomas, walk the fence line to see if any repairs are needed. New palings may be added as replacement boards if repairs are necessary. Edward mentioned last evening that he desired to put up a new paling fence behind the house, so they will be tending to that too. The young ladies and I best get started on the noon meal because there will be some hungry men this March day. Mary, Anne, and the servant girls are now busily preparing the big meal of the day. As lady of the house, I make sure each young lady is efficiently combining ingredients to make both savory and sweet 
dishes to satisfy a hungry farming family. Mary places the leg of lamb on the turnspit to begin roasting for the rest of the morning. She will baste the lamb with a sauce of onions, oyster liqueur, claret, capers, gravy, nutmeg, and salt. Anne agrees to make the eel pie, using the eels we obtained earlier from a market near the Severn River. She debones the eel, wipes it dry, adds salt, pepper, nutmeg, and onion, as well as adding whole cloves and butter. She places this in a puff paste made of flour, water, and eggs, with butter being added many times to make the crust really flaky and very flavorful. Then she places a puff paste lid upon the top. I gave Meg the last of the dried peas, and she made them into mushy peas, letting them cook for some time to soften, then seasoning them with salt, pepper, butter, thyme from the garden, and a little onion. I look forward to fresh peas coming this year. In fact, we could plant some this very afternoon. I also gave Meg some of the last winter turnips, encouraging her to mash them and make them as palatable as possible. Next, I guided Carrie through the making and baking of currant cake, one of my favorite side dishes. I had Carrie go to the buttery and get the currants I dried last year from our currant bushes. We put them into a batter of flour, sugar, eggs, butter, and mace. I reminded Carrie not to use too much sugar. Actually, I reminded all the girls. We do have honey from our bees after all, and sugar is so expensive. A little goes a long way. Spices are also expensive, so I instructed her to take care of measuring the mace. Since the girls have the cooking well in hand, I go to the buttery to begin preparing to make cheese this afternoon. I also check the barm or yeast from the top of the ale that is in the barrels. The barm is ready and I can skim some off the top tonight and use that to start the dough for bread making. Brewing and baking go hand in hand for a good English housewife. I desire to teach my daughters and servants having them well equipped so they will marry well and be good managers of their homes one day. Tomorrow for bake day, we will be making and baking bread, of course, meat pies, using some of the lamb left over from today. Then we would often make tarts, but not having much fruit in season right now, we will forego those. We will make cakes. A family favorite is Shrewsbury cakes, which are rather small sweet cakes that follow nicely after savory dishes. Edward comes in to see how the noonday meal is progressing. I had poked my head in several times to see how the girls were faring. I was simply managing the preparation of food and then the arrangement of it as I should. All is coming along well. I reminded Edward he may wish to do some fencing close to the house. He said, why of course, the nose knows when dinner is ready. Men do seem to have the uncanny ability of knowing exactly when meat is done. They come stand in the doorway ready to eat. A little time passes giving the servant girls time to set the table and pour the ale. Finally the meat is off the spit. Sure enough Edward Joseph Robert and our servant Thomas appear at the hall door led by the delicious aroma wafting out to the field. They all wash up, sit down, and Edward carves the lamb. I also know how much Edward enjoys his cheese. Edward always says, a good wife is known throughout the parish for her ale and cheese. The meal is finished after everyone has a chance to eat the currant cake. All the males head outside to work on preparing the fields for sowing this spring. 
Mary Ann and the servant girls wash the dishes and clean up the hall. It is time for my main task today, making cheese. I run a dairying business, selling cheese and butter at market, which is an important source of income for our family. As recommended by Markham, the guide in all things housewifely, I take pride in the cleanliness of my dairy and tools, where indeed a prince's bedchamber must not exceed the care and keeping that I take. I take the morning milk and last evening's milk, which has been saved in an earthenware crock with a wooden board over top and put both into a large kettle to heat. The next step in cheese making is of the utmost importance. I check the milk in the kettle often to see if it has warmed to body temperature by placing my clean wrist into the heating liquid. Not paying careful attention to this step can lead to the milk becoming too hot. If that happens, then I have to wait for it to cool down to body temperature before proceeding. Never fear, the milk is soon warm to body temperature. Next, I stir using a long cheese sticker paddle, some curds and rennet from the rennet bag into the warm milk. I had saved the rennet bag or cheese lip, which is the fourth stomach of a calf from when we butchered last year. The milk begins curdling almost immediately to within just a few minutes. Thankfully, the large kettle is hanging on the swinging crane, so it may be carefully and gently pushed away from the fire to set. I touch the curd after a short time and see that it is too soft, since it springs back quickly when touched. I use the cheese stick to slice the cheese curd several times, releasing more whey. The whey is the white yellowish liquid remaining from the curds. I can give this to the children, laborers, or animals to drink. I never want to give them the milk to drink originally because I don't want them to drink the profit. That is what I'm always saying. I also gently swing the crane back, putting the kettle over the low fire and orange embers. Now it is time to watch and check on my daughters and servants. Finding that all the dishes are done and the hall is tidied up, the young ladies, too, are ready to help with the next step in cheese making. First, we move the cheese press to the hall and line the cheese vat, or chesset, which has holes the size of your smallest finger, with a thin linen cloth. Mary and Anne remind Maggie to fetch the salt and Carrie to put a large earthenware bowl under the spout of the cheese press for catching the whey. I check over the curds now and find that they have sunk to the bottom of the kettle and are like a dense mass ready to be squeezed indeed. I remind everyone to roll up the sleeves of their shifts. We reach into the curds and whey, taking out a generous handful of curds. We squeeze them over the kettle to release any whey. A couple times during the course of squeezing the curds into the chesset, I remind Mary and Anne to each take a turn putting some salt into the curds. When all the curds have been retrieved from the kettle, leaving only whey, and the chesset is full of curds, the ends of the linen cloth are tucked over top of the curds. Next two followers or weights are put on top of the chesset. I will check later in the day to give the excess whey in the bowl to the animals. Now for the next five to seven days, we'll check on the new milk or house cheese. Every day we'll salt the rind of the cheese and change the cheese cloth and scald the chesset. Then, after five to seven days, I will place the cheese in the day house or cheese chamber to age and be ready for market later. It is important to make cheese the right way, according to Gervais Markham, and to avoid all things coarse housewives do.
After cleaning up the cheese making utensils, Mary, Anne, the servant girls and I all go out to the kitchen garden. We have just enough daylight to do some weeding and preparing more beds for planting. Since I have a five acre kitchen garden to manage, there is plenty of work to be done. The girls each plant a bed of peas today. We planted the lettuce and spinach earlier this week. All of these garden vegetables do well to be planted in cooler spring, March weather. I need to tend to the herbals since I am the physic of the family. I pull out the dead leaves of the comfrey so the new green leaves can come forth. Comfrey is so unique and interesting. I learned from my mother that comfrey is often called bone set. Just last year, our servant Thomas broke his arm. I set it in a splint and then took the broad green hairy leaves of the comfrey and crushed them in the mortar and pestle. I placed them over the broken area and it dried quickly, allowing healing to occur. It is time for the girls and I to walk towards the house. I noticed the apple trees in the orchard look promising. The wassail we poured on the roots at Christmas time worked well indeed. We shall have a bountiful crop of apples this year. Mary and the servant girls make haste to the hall and butchery to set out lamb, bread, cheese, and the remaining currant cake for everyone to eat this evening. I skim off some of the barm or froth from one of the barrels of ale and add a half a peck of flour and a spoonful or two of sugar, stirring and mixing well to start the bread for baking tomorrow. Following our supper, which is rather silent, undoubtedly due to our full day of work, the girls go to the barn to milk the cows one more time. They save the evening's milk for another round of cheese in the next day or so. I simply must ask Edward to have a cheese press built that makes two wheels of cheese at a time with all the milk we are getting. Edward, Joseph, Robert, and Thomas are relaxing at the table, deep in conversation, enjoying another pint of ale. The girls and I join them at the hall table after all our work is done, including the dishes. I suggest a reading. We all take a turn reading a passage of Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. All of my children read very well and the servants are learning quickly. This would be a pleasant way to end the day near the warm, relaxing fire in the hall. After managing all day, I retire to my well-earned rest and readiness for another day of supervising my household. <laughs>